Well, I've entitled or titled my sermon this morning, Watch Your Mouth and Your Judgments. Watch Your Mouth and Your Judgments. I remember my mother telling me as I was growing up, Watch Your Mouth. And I think that was sage advice. Uh, this morning, James, in the study of James chapter 4, is going to give us three arguments why we must never slander our brothers or sisters in Christ. Because practicing slander indicates your, number one, disdain for the brethren, and number two, your disregard for God and His law, and number three, your devotion to self. Let me, let me take a moment to pray, and then we'll read the passage in James. And then we'll get started. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You that we can come to Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would uh, use Your Word, Father, for its purposes, to sanctify, to convict, to exhort, all the things that we know that You have promised it will do. Father, we know and we trust that your word will not return void, that it will do that which you purpose it it to do. We can trust in that, in Christ's name, amen. Let me read James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. James writes, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Beloved, I want you to know that this has been a challenging sermon to me as I've interacted in my own heart with the Word of God. It has caused me much reflection and, and confession as I have meditated on the truths that God has sovereignly placed here. I pray that you will receive the word in humility and it will have the same impact on you. Of late, of late there, have been a, as there has been a palpable increase in rhetoric in our nation. It's not hard to notice, right? Statements that would have been considered off-limits just a a few years ago have been deemed fair game in today's world. We see this drift most acutely in the arena of politics, especially at the crucial interval between politics and social media. Twitter has become a favorite medium for the quick-tongued to spread their opinions far and wide. Just to give you some idea of the power of Twitter, here are the top of accounts. Katy Perry has 107 million followers. She's number one. Number two is Justin Bieber with 104 million followers. Number three is Barack Obama with 102 million. And at a paltry 54 million, Donald Trump comes in at number 18. Think about that. So each time these people write a 280-character tweet, millions of people hear their message, whether they know what they're talking about or not. 
There is a myriad of Facebook groups, both public and private, which offer a platform to speak your mind, or more accurately, your heart. Unfortunately, with all this power to speak at our fingertips, and considering the nature of the tongue, there is a startling startling escalation of conflict among otherwise peaceful people. Just this week, as I was preparing the sermon, I was startled to see just how much this escalation in rhetoric has infected God's people. One brother even commented regarding a discussion about an especially hot topic. He says this. This is his comment. This is getting bizarre. I feel like Satan set a trap for us and we are falling straight into it. Let us watch and pray and remember that a house divided against itself cannot stand, end quote. He said that in response to a, a post which one of the, a com, in which one of the commenters accused the one who made the post of being satanic. Beloved, this was brothers in Christ who were speaking. A few sermons ago, I, I spoke about the situation with Paige Patterson. And after that sermon, he was, he's a, he, a former, the former president of one of the Southern Baptist seminaries. And after that sermon, I said to one of our people, we are going to see more and more of this kind of thing. And that it will hit closer and closer to home. I believe that Satan is using current issues of the day to drive a wedge in the church. Or multiple wedges, if you will. Issues like hashtag Me Too, social justice, race relations, LGBT, President Donald J. Trump, and other hot topics are coming to the church pew with pews with vengeance. These are the things that are driving a wedge in us. Our opinions on things that don't matter. They are causing great divisions in the church, especially through the medium of social media. Now let me back up. I say they don't matter. They matter, but they're secondary issues, especially to the church. I'm, I'm afraid and I'm becoming more and more convinced of the dangers of social media for our children But most especially, you know, it's interesting, we worry about our children and we worry about what they're seeing, but ultimately it's us that's being more more affected. Brethren, we are being subtly divided into tribes, even amongst those who historically fight on the same side. Another brother in in the forum that I spoke of earlier Uh, he said that he feared that people were willing to say things on social media that they would be unwilling to say in a verbal exchange. They're saying things in that forum that they would never say if they were standing in front of you. I'm afraid that he's correct. Because we cease to see the person on the receiving end. We cease to understand them as a, a person made in the image of God. Beloved, Persecution in the West hasn't, hasn't even started to any level, right? We still are free to do what we want to do. And we're still free to speak as we want to speak for the most part. But here we are ripping each other apart with our tongues. 
Unfortunately, much of what I see is nothing more than slander. And has become prevalent in our everyday speech. There is very little decorum left in the public square. Brothers and sisters, we must not stoop to slandering others even as we defend the people and institutions that we love. Did you get that? Let me make sure I say that. We must not stoop to slander even as we defend the people and institutions that we love. Charles Spurgeon says this. Who, now, Charles Spurgeon was, a, was not... I mean, he, was, he, was, uh, uh, he understood conflict, right? He says this, The best way to deal with slander is to pray about it. God will either remove it or remove the sting from it. Our own attempts at clearing ourselves are usually failures. We are like the boy who wished to remove the blot from his copy and by his bungling made it ten times worse. End quote. Listen to this story by, about the English preacher Rowland Hill. He, it, it says on, or the story starts on the, speaking of, a, of when he was scurrilously attacked in a public jur- journal and urged by a zealous friend to, to, uh, exas- who was ax- exacerbated against the writer. He, he wanted Rowland Hill to bring uh, legal action and defense, to actually go to the courts because of what was said, the slander. To this Hill replied with calm dignity, I shall neither answer the libel nor prosecute the writer, and that for two reasons. That's what he says. First, because in attempting the former, I should probably be betrayed into unbecoming violence of temper and expression to my own grief and the wounding of my friends. And in the next place, secondly, I have learned by experience that no man's character can eventually be can be eventually injured but by his own acts. Do you get that? It's what we do that that injures our reputation ultimately. That's what he's saying. And if I if I fight, if I defend myself, then I I stand the chance of, of having being, falling to unbecoming violence and even wounding my own friends. You see, the truth stands for itself. The truth stands on its own. Beloved, whether we find ourselves on the, on the offense or the defense, we must grasp the evil of slander. We are never justified in speaking evil of of one another even as we battle for the truth. We are never justified in slandering one another even as we endure great trials. As such, in this passage today, we will see that James is going to give these three arguments. uh, Why we must never slander our brothers and sisters in Christ. The first one is, is that it shows or indicates your disdain for the brethren. James says, do not speak against one another, brethren. The ESV says, do not speak evil against one another. Now, this verse opens a, a new line of thought for James. But we need to try to understand what James is saying in the overall context of the letter. There were some who, who there are some who believe that these verses open the last section of James, so they're more connected to what is to come than what has come before. Now, what that means is is that this is a whole new section, and it has not as much to do with what came before as to what's coming up. 
Now, I'll I'll tell you, the context of these verses is hard to discern exactly. It seems that James is making a a huge jump here, or or at least a jump. But I want to do a quick review of, of James to show you how I believe these verses fit into the larger context and to show you that I don't think the jump is as big as you might think. First, let me say that I believe that there, there was great conflict that was going on in the Christian community that James writes to. Uh, in previous sermons, I've, I've described what I believe are the contours of this great conflict. Now, I want to show you how this conflict fits into the understanding of this passage. Now, before we proceed, we need to take a moment to define this word that has been translated speak against or speak, or speak evil against. The word is defined as to slander or to speak evil. Or it has been translated as backbiting or speaking evil behind someone's back. It can be defined as making false and damaging statements about someone. Peter uses the same word in 1 Peter 2.12 when he says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In 1 Peter 3.16, Peter says this, And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So James then is referring to the horrendous sin of defaming others falsely. This is an attack on on the reputation of someone by publishing falsely and maliciously things that slander or injure. John Bloom, a writer for the uh, DesiringGod.com, says this, Slander occurs whenever someone says something untrue about someone else that results in un- or t- intentionally or unintentionally in damaging that someone else's reputation. And when it occurs, he goes on to say, it becomes a divisive and de- becomes divisive, discouraging, and confusing weight that often affects numerous people, sometimes many, many people. He goes on to say, because of its poisonous power, it is one of the adversary's chief strategies to, to divide relationships and deter and, rela- and derail, that is, the mission of the church. End quote. John Calvin puts it very simply. He says this in a, in a Lutheresque kind of way. I consider looseness with words no less of a defect than looseness of the bowels. End quote. In the immediate context, we must say that speaking evil of others is a manifestation of pride that God resists. In, in James 4, 6, he, he resists the proud. And that this sin must be avoided by humility before God. That's James 4.10. Again, we're exploring the context of, this, of what he's saying. And speaking evil can certainly be linked to jealousy. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12.20, he says this, For I am afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to, be, to not be what I wish, and may be found in you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossips, and arrogance and disturbances. Slander can be also linked to selfishness. Without any doubt, it leads to great quarrels and conflict among the the brethren. 
And that's what James has been, has been dealing with. God, God knows when we slander, and He hates it. God hates when we speak evil of His name. We see that in Exodus 12, or 20, verse 7. He hates it when we speak evil of others. We see that in Titus 3, 2. And He will hold us accountable for every word that we speak. John Calvin says this, It is a sign of a perverse and treacherous disposition to wound the good name of another when he has no opportunity of defending himself. End quote. You see, brethren, it is very sad that James must uh, address the church, the brethren, in this way. It's clear that he's addressing the brethren and what they're speaking, and they're speaking against one another. We should expect slander from people outside the church, but, from, but not from within uh, the Christian walls. Sadly, it has been stated that the Christian army is the only one that shoots its own wounded. And we do it in subtle ways. We cast aspersions on people questioning their abilities and doubting them. We look at their lives and see differences and fail to believe the best of them. We, call, we have to, to call it as it is and realize that we have very little tolerance for those who are different from us. There seems to be more conflict in the church about secondary issues in the Christian life than the ones that are primary. Secondary issues like educational choices and sports participation take on more importance in how we're going to lead our kids and their friends to Christ. Think about that. Our main mission of equipping saints for service and reaching the lost for Christ takes a backseat to secondary issues in the church. Things such as color of the carpet or the time and place we meet, the programs we'll have, and petty conflict between believers, fill in the blank becomes more important. Conflict over these secondary issues indicates a lack of love for the brethren and a lack of love for the lost. In our current passage, James, James's readers were showing very little love toward one another as they endured great conflict. Now, by way of reminder, I want to I go back and, and review a little bit of the letter just to get you to understand why I believe James is saying this. This letter was written to a struggling people who had been scattered abroad. That was James chapter 1, verse 1. They've been scattered abroad probably due to persecution. Now, we want to remember that they were the first fruits of the church. They were struggling with persecution, and, they, and again, they had great conflicts among themselves. He reminds them that they were suffering, and the purpose of their trials was to cause them to grow, to, to cause them to grow in Christ. And he reminds them that, that, our, that God uses our difficulties to make them more like our Savior. And he encourages them to ask God for the wisdom they need to endure trials by faith. Encourage them to be faithful as they struggle, knowing that God will make things right, that He wins in the end. He reminds them of our great Christian hope, that, that God does uh, will make all things right. It seems they weren't, these people weren't applying this truth in their lives. They were using worldly wisdom to make it through the difficulties. They were double-minded. James urged them, to prove themselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James wanted them to stop giving lip service to the word of God. He exhorted them to live according to God's word. 
And as such, in chapter 2, James warns them not to show partiality to the rich. Now it seems that they were showing partiality to the rich so that they would not have to endure as much difficulty. Thinking that the rich was going to help them, right? Now, as I've told you, there's an important tie here that I need to make to our current passage. If we, if we look at the text of James chapter 2 for a moment, I want to point out a couple of things here. James starts out telling them not to, not to have this attitude of personal favoritism. He, he, he's concerned that they were showing this favoritism toward the rich. And he offers this story of a rich man and a poor man coming into their assembly. And he, he tells this story, and he, and he says in verse 4, that if you, if you treat them differently, basically, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Now, I want you to hold on to that phrase. They have become judges with evil motives. Now, when we went through this section on, in James chapter 2, I told you that James may have been referring to meetings where judgments were rendered, rendered concerning conflicts. So basically, they came together... And, and they, they rendered judgments uh, based, uh, judgments on these conflicts, concerning these conflicts. So James then may have been concerned that the poor brethren were not receiving righteous judgments when in conflict with the rich. Now that, that's important for us to understand. Now these conflicts, I believe, may have been concerning their wages because in James chapter 5, he warns the rich about withholding wages from their laborers. So it seems that James is warning them against unrighteous judgments. Now I want to, I want to make an important connection here. James tells them then that if they show partiality, they are breaking the royal law. That's in, in verse 8. He says this, if however, you are fulfilling, if, however, you are fulfilling the ro- royal law according to scripture, to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Now James, James tells them then in verse 13, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So basically what's happening here is that these people are showing, they're showing no mercy in their judgments. Especially toward the poor brethren. Now, these are important connections to our passage because as, as we will see, James does not want them to show partiality toward the rich against the poor brother. And if they do so, they're breaking the royal law. And you have to understand the only way, then, that you can show partiality, or knowingly render, that is, an un- unrighteous judgment, is by slandering the innocent party. Did you get that? The only way that you can knowingly render an unrighteous judgment is by slandering the, the innocent party. I, know, I said knowingly, right? You can't have one without the other. When you show partiality in your judgments and follow through on their implications, you must indulge in slander. So to engage in slander and false judgment, you must then have disdain for your brethren, right? You must see them as lower than you and not deserving of of 
what you what not deserving of good things, if you will. In the case of James's readers, they, there were those who were siding with the rich landowners who were withholding their right, rightful wages from the brethren. They were showing that they did not have the love of God in them when they did that. John writes in 1 John 3.17, Whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against them, how does the love of God abide in him? Undoubtedly then, they were slandering these poor people and no one was coming to the rescue. It seems they were doing this, this, this evil thing to gain recognition of these rich landowners in, in hopes of gaining some advantage. They were well, willing to then sell their brethren down the river to protect their own pleasures. And it was causing great conflict in the church. That's why James reminded them of the nature of true faith. That is why he tells them that faith without works is a dead faith. And that therefore in, verse, in, chapter, in chapter 2 verse 15 he says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Verse 17, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. That's the reason he uses Rahab, the prostitute, as an example of true faith. She would have given her very life to serve the living and true God. Sadly, James's reader, readers, many of them, were willing to slander, to speak evil lies against and withhold what was rightly their brothers and sisters in Christ. These people prided themselves on keeping God's law. They prided themselves on their purity, yet they were complicit in the murder of their brethren. It's clear in the text. That's what's going on here. It should, be, it should go without saying to withhold what is rightfully your brother's is, is wrong, yet that was what was happening in this community. But we need to go one step farther. It is downright evil to speak lies against the brethren for selfish gain. Beloved, I I want to ask you, where do you stand with this? I beg you to ask the Lord to search your heart. Are you willing to sell your brother or sister down down the river for selfish gain? Are you sinfully jealous of your brother or sister in Christ? And, And because of your jealousy, are you willing to give a false report to make them look bad? Or withhold what is rightfully theirs to keep them in their place? Are you willing to use slander to keep your position or to gain a position? These these were the things that were being done amongst the brethren. Beloved, Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful, deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? That's why we must humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. That's the connection to James 4.10 is is the humbling yourself in the presence of the Lord knowing that the heart is deceitfully wicked. We must understand that we're all capable of these things. You may not be willing to slander your brother for selfish gain today, but when there's pressure to do so, will you? I already said that that we we are not experiencing persecution the way that it could happen and probably will in the future. What if the society really brings pressure to bear on the church? What if your family's livelihood were on the line? What would you do? Would you show great disdain for the brethren and do what is expedient? Or or would you endure the trials doing what is right, trusting the Lord's great promises? 
Let me give you a, a few thoughts from John Bloom to fight against slander. Question, have you shared the question I, when, when you hear slander or when you think that you may be slandering? Ask these questions. Have you shared your concern with this person directly? That's the question. Have you shared your concern with them directly? If you have a concern with your brother or sister in Christ, have you gone to them? Matthew 18, right? Go to your brother. Go to your brother. Talk to them. Maybe things aren't the way you think they are. Maybe you're not understanding. Maybe you don't know what their true motives are. You really don't, by the way. Talk to them. Ask them. When someone comes to you with slander or you start to to think of of slandering someone, ask yourself. And then ask the person, "Is is this information that I should know? Should I know this? Why are you sharing this with me? Ask yourself or the person, are you doing everything you possibly can to put away all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander? That's Ephesians 4.31. Another question is, how can I help you guard this person's reputation like a treasure? Proverbs 22.1. Now, you may be saying to me that this all seems like a stretch. How do you know that James is referring to this greater conflict? Or, or you may be saying, why is it even important? Well, I, I think the second point will bring this into a greater focus. Practicing slander, then, is a disregard or indicates a disregard for God and His law. That's number two. Here James further explains the issue with speaking evil against a brother. In this phrase, he, he adds a further description of what's happening here. He brings up judging a brother. Again, this is a connection to James 2. He's, this, he's speaking against the, the... James is speaking against the practice of partial judgments against a brother or sister in Christ. This word could be, could be translated past judgment on. James is speaking of negative judgments which hurt, hurt the brethren. It's, it's the practice then of judging others' motives based on your own standard of righteousness, probably for your own gain. Now let me be very clear. James is not prohibiting all types of judging. I think this, is, this illustrates why it's important for us to understand the historical context, right? He's not, he's not, saying that, he's not prohibiting all types of judgments. He's prohibiting unrighteous judgments. James's words then are following with the Lord Jesus when he says, Do not judge that, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. By your standard of righteousness, by your standard of, of how you judge others, it will, you will be judged. That's what Jesus is saying. Here Jesus is condemning the unrighteous judgments, unrighteous judgments against your brother or sister. So we should sense a tension here, right? Right? What's the tension? Are we never to speak against a brother or sister in Christ? Are we never to make any judgments? Beloved, making that leap would be a logical fallacy. We are charged with showing discernment. 
Right? We are charged with we, 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 we are charged not to be foolish. We we are to show discernment in our midst. Later Jesus and later in Matthew seven, where I just, just quoted, later in Matthew seven, Jesus says, Beware of the frost prophets who come to you in a, in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. So does that sound like Jesus is, is there's a prohibition against judgment, judging with Jesus? No. It's, it's unrighteous judgments that he is concerned with. And clearly James is speaking of the same. He's speaking of unrighteous judgments. He goes on to say, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law or judges the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Again, that's a connection back to James 2. Let me remind you of what he said there. Starting in verse 8, he says this in James 2.8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, According to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. You are doing well. Then he goes on to say, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a what? A transgressor of the law. So speak and and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Now, I don't have a lot of time. But I want to remind you of the connection back to the Old Testament law. In Leviticus 19.18, it says this, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now Jesus said that this was the second of the two great commandments that fulfilled the law and the prophets. The first is, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the sec- and this is the great and foremost commandment, is what he said. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this in verse 40 uh, of, of um, I forgot where it's at, Matthew 22:40, I think. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. The implication then is clear. When we render unrighteous judgments by slandering our brother or sister, we are not loving them as our neighbor, but we are judging them unrighteously. Therefore, we're speaking against the law and we're standing in judgment over it. Therefore, we have a disregard for God's law. That's the point. And that's James's point. We should note one other connection to Leviticus 19. In, in verse 16 he says this, You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, or you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Again, when we slander and judge our brethren in an unrighteous way, we demonstrate that we don't care about God's law. That we don't truly understand it. We don't believe it's important. And James says, but if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. See, these people were, they were priding themselves on following God's law. They, they celebrated their own righteousness. They prided themselves on their walk, believing themselves to be pious and holy. They prided themselves on obeying the law, yet were breaking the very heart of the law. 
And James calls them out saying, if you slander and judge your brother, then you judge the law. Therefore, you are not a doer of it, but a judge of it. This is a a stinging rebuke. But isn't that how how it is with people who trust their own righteousness? They compare themselves to others and set their own standard for righteousness, forgetting that God is the only one who sees and understands the true heart of, of man. They're deceived. They judge by their own standard of righteousness, but of course the scales are not balanced. Therefore they slander and judge their brothers and become judges, judges of God's law. They become usurpers of God's authority. Look at the text. It says in James, There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. Here, James affirms what the Bible teaches. God is the sole sovereign over all affairs of men. As, as Jesus reminded us in Matthew 10, 28, to destroy, that, that God alone is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, therefore, James is saying that, that it seems to be thinking of judging in terms of determining the ultimate spiritual destiny of people. At least that is the result of their judgments. We as believers have no rights. We have no right to that determination. We are not to stand in the place of God. He alone has the ability to make truly righteous judgments because He alone is omniscient and can judge the heart. He alone can judge a man's motives. We can only inspect the fruit, right? We're, we're, we're fruit inspectors. That's it. We can only inspect the fruit. And even this should be with a heart toward restoration and forgiveness, not condemnation. That's Matthew 18. That's the point of Matthew 18 is restoration, right? We must have this attitude as we discern others' actions or we usurp God's authority and show disregard for Him and His law. And lastly, the third point. We show when we practice slander, we, it indicates a devotion to self. James writes, But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The word neighbor should remind us back to Leviticus 19.18, right? This whole idea of the law, you're breaking the law. And it should remind us of James 2.8. that we've been going over. Again, this reveals that the implicit anchor for James' rebuke rebuke is the love command. When we slander our neighbors, we are not loving them. But it also reveals another of James' rebukes. Slander and unrighteous judgments are the result of great pride. Slander and unrighteous judgments are the result of great pride. It is the result of elevating yourself above even God. It's the same sin that Satan committed in the garden. He elevated himself above God and he slandered and blasphemed God. He slandered God by casting doubt on God's word as he snorted these words to Eve. Indeed has God said. Indeed has he said. And when he said to her, For God knows that in the day you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the devil is a slanderer by nature. And when we slander, we are putting ourselves in league with him. It's scary, isn't it? It's scary. 
When you slander, we are showing a love for self as well as a hate for God, which was Satan's greatest sin. Love is not supposed to be this way among the brethren. We are to go out of our way to show love for one another. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Then he says in verse 10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in, in honor. I mean, literally outdo each other in giving one another honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. But the Apostle John says it's not that this way with ungodly people. He says this. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Beloved, I'm afraid that we've become so accustomed to slander that we can't do without it, do it without that we do it without thinking. That's the point. Let me say that again. I'm afraid that we've become so accustomed to slander that we do it without thinking. I beg you to consider your own heart in regard to these things. I want you to consider that practicing slander does show disdain for the brethren. It shows your disregard for God and His law. And it shows a devotion uh, of, to self or great pride. And I I pray that you'll consider how dangerous it is to the household of God. It does great and irreparable damage to the cause of Christ. Ask yourself these questions. Am I doing this for their good and God's glory? Am I edifying them by saying these things? Am I building up and not tearing down? Am I outdoing others in honor and, and showing honor by saying these things. I beg you to consider. I beg you to consider these things. I beg you to, to search your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning again. We pray, Lord, that you would show us you would show us our way. If there be any way in us, Lord, that is sinful, that you would clearly show it to us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that we can come to your word and that it open, it lays open and bare our hearts. It lays open and bare who we truly are. I thank you and praise you this morning for this time to consider the destructiveness of slander, the destructiveness of backbiting, the destructiveness of casting aspersions. Father, may we do everything in love, building up one another in love. In Christ's name, amen.